Payo is a payment platform made by Hospo for Hospo. And their new self-checkout technology, Payo Checkout, is here to help you manage your venue. It lets your customers easily settle the bill at the end of their meal in seconds by scanning a Payo Checkout QR code on their table. Start offering self-checkout for your customers and save an average of 10 minutes per table with Payo Checkout, the fastest way to pay in hospitality venues. Visit payo.com.au. Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people inside the hospitality industry. Now, on to today's podcast. With the intention of providing end-to-end catering, this week's guest... Ben Averamides co-founded the Thomas Collins Group in 2007. From working in London to founding key pillars of the Melbourne cafe culture, the Little Ox and Hawk and Hunter, Ben has been instrumental in building great venues in Victoria. Legacy Hospitality Group currently incorporates such groups as the Tom Collins Group, Hampton's Bakery, House of Lulu White, Rumour Has It, The Cricketers, The Firehouse, The Villager, High Street Cantina, as well as Miss Ladybird Cakes. Ben has brought his passion for sustainability sorts of fresh produce to the industry and continues to look for the next innovative approach to field experiences, striving to bridge the gap between restaurant quality and catering. So I feel really fortunate to sit down with Ben, the Managing Director of Legacy Hospitality Group, in this week's podcast. Ben, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, mate. Let's talk about you know, how you got started in the industry because you've got such a long and depth and breadth of experience in the industry, obviously running legacy. How did you get started? Mate, thank you for having me. How did I get started? Like a lot of second, third generation Greek, Lebanese, Syrian, Jordanian people uh, through the family. The, uh, the grandparents emigrated from early 1900s and the 50s again and straight into that trading, roasting coffees, roasting nuts, cafes, dad was restaurants, bars, a club toward the end there. So always around it, always making coffee, mm-hmm. you know, hiding out in the kitchen, looking for bits and pieces from the chefs and never really shook it. I think you're a hospitality man, yeah. you know that it's it's mm. like a bug, it, it sort of it grabs on and it doesn't <laughs> let you go, you try and get out occasionally and it drags you back in. Absolutely. And it was, yeah, if I reflect now, it was inevitable. I was always going to be in hospo. So was it always in family businesses? Is that how you sort of came through? In the, I mean, growing up it was, yep. yeah. School holidays was around my uncle's cafes or out at his factory running a muck and, you know, trying to make a few dollars by working for him. Occasionally we got paid, occasionally <laughs> we didn't, you can imagine. And then out of school it was not. Mm-hmm. All our family business was Sydney. We moved uh, to Melbourne. We were a bit younger, so it was just working wherever. Yeah, right. Lots of cafes, bars, trying to get as much as much scope of hospitality as possible. Bit of time in the kitchen, bit of time on the coffee machine, on the floor, into bars, clubs, and really tried to see all angles, tried to work all roles, fishy, you name it. 
Did you did you naturally fall in love with something first, like some part of hospitality first? Coffee first. Okay. Coffee first. Being that the uncle and the family were always roasting, it was always in our blood, lots of cafes growing up. And, you know, I left school 99 um, and Melbourne's cafe culture wasn't what it is today. So having a bit of coffee art, I was kind of a bit, oh, wow, you're, you're really good coffee. <laughs> Now, all right, dinosaurs. <laughs> We've moved on. <laughs> yeah, it's the same yeah. tricks 20 years later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coffee first and foremost. Had to go over to the UK to get um, a bit of bar and club culture, mm-hmm. which I loved as well. But coffee and caffeine and uh, cafes first. So what drove you over to the UK? Was it just a, a different experience that you wanted to take on? It was, yeah. I had done a bar in St Kilda and um, it didn't do overly well. We had... We had some good nights, but we drank most of the profits. And, <laughs> um, met some unbelievable people. I'd, I'd sort of opened a cafe at the wrong end and the wrong side of Ackland Street. Okay. Being that it was in the dark and it was a very cold space. Yep. Uh, day one. Oh, we got this wrong. Yep. So we evolved into a bar, a style bar we called it back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy walks in with a CV, with a beautiful girlfriend. Mm-hmm. said to my assistant manager at the time, I guarantee he's the guy we need even though we want to employ her. Yep. And sure enough, he was. Just back from the UK, cocktails, bar experience, awards. Um, and so we did. He said, well, yeah, I'd, I'd like to come work, but I don't want to do weekends and I don't want to do nights. I said, no problem. Just come work. We'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And of course, Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. Um, but he was a gun. He was a superstar. So we did well and, and he'd just come back from the UK. So everybody that he'd been worked with come out to Australia as they do, mm-hmm. come to St Kilda as they do, mm-hmm. came and work on the bar. So we had this level of bartender which just out of this world <laughs> in, in hindsight. And when we got rid of that bar, when we sold it, I thought, well, I've got to go and see where all this started. So I went to Edinburgh, sort of swapped lives. He stayed, went and did cafes and coffee and learnt the Melbourne cafe culture. Danny Coles for a bit. Right. Uh, talking about Tommy McIntosh, who's I started Tommy Collins with. Yep. Uh, and I went to the UK, worked for Montpellier's, where he had just come back from. Um, did a couple over there, a couple of years over there. Went down to London, worked at Alenghi for a bit, fell in love with food. And, you know, this uh, again, uh, 06, 07, this mm-hmm. was a new style of food. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was just coming through, right? It's just coming mm. through. We've got the big salads now, we've got the oversized meringues now. But back then it was, wow. Look at these. Yes. So it's just all been quite progressive. That looks fun. Let's go and do that. And I think that's what hospitality sort of drags you in and doesn't let you out because there's always uh, a bit more fun to be had mm. uh, and some amazing people to meet and work with. How long did you actually stay in the UK for? Uh, t- two years. Oh, okay. All right. So you felt like you'd learn enough and then you decided to come back to Melbourne? It was like well, it was one of those sliding door moments. I came back for my grandmother's funeral right. and caught up with everybody and had some amazing nights out. And as in London, offered sponsorship. And it was one of those, well, if I stay now, this is me setting up life in London. Yep. Or I come back and start, you know, 27, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, it's the formative time. Yeah. Yep. Need to, I need to do something. I need to set a path. So I decided to come home. Cool. So what did you do when you first came home? First came home, I called Tommy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was the only number I remembered. <laughs> And he was working at a cafe in Turak, Melbourne, somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he just promised somebody, a, yeah, I'll come and do your event. You know, little Jack, 
big group had pulled out. They didn't want to do the 18th birthday. Tommy said, don't worry, we'll do it. <laughs> Who's we? You and me. Oh, okay. So when we, th- we, we threw an event for this kid's birthday and it was 250 people in the most beautiful house you've ever seen in Turak. And wow. Next day we're cleaning up the cigarette butts and the bottle caps and the mess. And the friend calls and says, I want just the same, but it's got to be a bit bigger and a bit better. A bit okay. bigger? A bit bigger and a bit better. Wow. So we can do that. Oh, and it's in two weeks. Okay. <laughs> so we did that. Same thing happened a week later. And, you know, we, we reflect now and look at the homes we are in in those early days. And that was the start of Tommy Collins. Yeah, right. By accident. It was just, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we used the cafe he was working at. We used them as a caterer. So they sort of cracked the shits and said, well, we should be doing the event, not you. Why? Event managers, right? Okay, <laughs> so um, they decided they didn't want to do our catering anymore, so we thought we'll have to do it ourselves. Okay, so we did. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so how did you do that? Did you rent a kitchen? Or? We uh, we borrowed a kitchen, yeah, from our butcher, he had a kitchen, <laughs> right? And my brother is my brother's a chef, he'd just come back from London as well. Okay. Uh, his wife was pregnant and having a baby, so he's trying to get out of the restaurant life, as so many mm-hmm. top Melbourne cafe chefs have done. Mm-hmm. Lifestyle. So we'll come. You work with us. We'll put on these events. You don't have to work many nights. Again, mm-hmm. we sold the dream. Mm-hmm. Said to the butcher, we'll keep buying your meat if we can use your kitchen. And Emil can do all your home prepared meals. Done. So we struck a deal and we used his kitchen. Emil, my brother, did all our catering. Did all his pre-prepared meals. We bought all his meat. And happy days. Wow. So how did that grow? Like, how did you how did you build a catering arm like that? Like, a lot of people who listen to the podcast, Ben, like, have been in the industry for a while. Like, they they love the mm. thought of doing catering. Like, how how hard was it actually to build that brand? It was. It we never thought about building a brand. We never. Uh, Tommy did. He's brand focused. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. He's got a head for telly. I've got a head for podcasts. <laughs> so. We didn't think too much about it. We used to joke that he's the romance and I'm the finance. So I'd think, well, how are we going to, if we do get that job he's out there promising we can do, how are we going to deliver it? Yeah. Typical brotherly love. Well, if I'm in the kitchen, you're in the kitchen with me. So I'd get back into the kitchen. Uh, But the butcher was also busy. So, Mm. you know, I'd be trying to prep uh, an event uh, and the butchers are busy, busy, busy in everybody's way. So I said to Tommy, "We we need our own kitchen, but we don't have enough catering. So let's build a cafe with a kitchen. And then we can sell some coffees and meet some clients and ha- host meetings there and, you know. And, okay, let's do that. So he drove past a joint on New Street in Brighton that I'd had my own for years when it was a dilapidated old milk bar. He said, that place you're always banging on about, they've, they've renovated it. It looks unbelievable. I said, well, go in and tell them we'll rent it. <laughs> so he did. And the guy was, was literally, it was just by chance, he literally banging up the full lease sign. <laughs> He said, oh, this is not my place. You've got to call George. Mm-hmm. can't remember his name. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Um, went down and said, we'd like to lease your building. I said, how much? Said, how much do you want? He said, a thousand bucks a week. He said, okay. Said, do you want to know anything else? Is there anything else we need to know? <laughs> uh, how long do you want the lease for? How long should we have it for? <laughs> ten years. Okay, we'll have it for ten years. <laughs> It was, it was pretty organic. And this guy came to our events for years and years right. later. He was a cool guy. And I said to him at a Portsy Polo event, I grabbed him. I said, mate, I've got to thank you. You could have taken the piss with us. We didn't know up from down 
And actually, you gave us a really good deal. You gave us the start we needed. Mm. And thank you. Mm. No problem. Let's go and have a drink. Okay. So we went and had a drink. So we're a bit lucky in that stage. But that was our first cafe, Little Ox, which just turned into a beast of its own. Mm-hmm. Small footprint, 100 uh, square metres, old milk bar. They're everywhere now. But again, in 2007, when we signed this lease, they all said, you're mad. Yep. What do you want to be in the burbs for? There's no foot traffic. There's not enough parking. It's too residential. There's no businesses. Mm. I said, yeah, but that's, that's the attraction. Mm. We're by ourselves. There's no competition. People will come. There's schools everywhere. It's all about community, walking the dogs. And sure enough, our little joint that, you know, they had an upstairs. I said, well, if shit hits the fan, I'll move in upstairs, <laughs> contribute a couple hundred bucks a week. That'll bring our rent down. I'm sure we can scrape 800 bucks for, for okay. But, you know, we opened the door and they just came. We wow. met so many people before school, after school drop-off, for school before school pick-up, for brunch in between, lunch. after. We were seeing the same people three, four times a day. And yeah, they become wow. like family. It was, <laughs> I, man, I can't tell you. It was just <laughs> extraordinary. I still, you know, a lot of the customers in the early days, their kids are now working for us. Wow. You know, they, they were babies, really, <laughs> back then, five, yeah. six years old then. 18, 20 years now. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. How did you how did you build that excitement around it? Was it was it like really good branding? Was it really good products? Was it really good service? Was it everything? Yeah, because that was pre that's pre social, right? That's that's pre-social, starting just, Instagram, yeah, starting just, Facebook, right. starting Facebook was there. Yeah, I, I think uh, Instagram was not long after we opened, mm-hmm. but I didn't know what it was. That's for sure. <laughs> Tommy did. He was pretty um, bored with that, mm-hmm. mate. We. You've seen that movie, Field of Dreams? Mm-hmm. You build it, they will come. It was what it was. Yep. It was us. There was another guy, Lukey, who brought in at that stage, just Captain Affable. Could talk the leg off a chair. <laughs> and and did. You know, couldn't get any work out of him, but he <laughs> would just chat and chat. And chat. Yep. Yeah, oh, it's Lukey, man. He's sitting over there with Shara. Okay. And we had a great dynamic. Our first head chef who, you know, he'd worked with us years beforehand and we called him for an event months before we opened the cafe. And he did the event and, you know, hard worker, good guy. He said, I want to get out of the kitchen. Mm. He said, okay, we'll come and do a few events with us and then you can be an event manager and we'll get you out of the kitchen. Anyway, we didn't do that exactly. We put him in as head chef and he was just a dynamo. You know, the best omelettes you've ever seen. He put avo toast on the menu. Again, 2008, avocado toast. Mm -hmm. What the fuck's that? (laughs) That's avocado toast. Who's buying avocado toast for $14? (laughs) Mate, it's so good. Have you ever had it? A bit of lemon, onion. We can try it. We'll give it a go. <laughs> and, you know, have a toast. <laughs> so we sort of, we, we did things really simply mm-hmm. because we loved them. Mm. We ate the avo toast. Yeah, actually, you're right, Simon. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. The omelette. I still serve the same one at the Hamptons now. You know, what's that? 13, 14, 15 years later. Yeah, well. Uh, it doesn't matter. 12 years later. It was just good stuff. The coffee, we actually didn't go with the family brand on that first cafe because we did a blind tasting and there was a coffee Red Star that we all loved. Never heard of it, didn't know what it was, read mm-hmm. the back of the pack. Huge stance on sustainability. We thought, well, that's good. Tastes great. And they're actually roasting in Port Melbourne, so it ticked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. So we went with that, much to the family's dismay. I bet. And um, it was the same thing from the menu to the people on the floor. You know, we opened the doors and people started coming. Come and help us. Mm-hmm. We rang people we knew. And, you know, when your mates are helping out, it's not like 
job hospitality. Yep. You come, you drink coffee, you talk to people, you meet people, you have fun. And everybody loved it. And the culture, mate, the culture was just amazing. Mm. And it grew. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And then those guys would go and run events for us. And then the events people would meet more events people. And then the clients, their kids would come and work for us as well. So then they'd come back into the cafe. And it was just uh, really organic. The word spread. The product was good. The service was good. Nice environment. Um, this really nice dude, Turek. Name Scotty Livesey owned an art gallery. He right. walked in day one or two and said, "Oh, I've got a great piece for your wall there. I'm going to lend you some artwork." And it was this like four meter long David Bromley. Oh my god! Which he just up oh, there. I said, "We can't afford that." We didn't know who David Bromley was either, but <laughs> we knew we couldn't afford his artists. No, no, it's online. Okay, buy me a coffee. Okay. So you know, it just came together with uh, with hospitality. With yeah, spirit. right. Um. Kept growing. So how did you how did you grow up past that? That um, well, catering got busier and busier as we met more people, and we were and the cafe was busy. So we were we'd grown out of the kitchen, um, so we needed to build another kitchen. Tommy, out driving on a Sunday afternoon, finds this old beaten up cafe with the doors closed, and says, "This is a good spot." Yeah, that is a good spot. Uh, called another mate of ours who found out who owned it. It was the Congression of the Adas there in Ripon Lake. Mm-hmm. Did a deal pretty quick with them and that later became Hawk and Hunter, but we were actually taking it for the cafe out the back, uh, the kitchen out the back. Mm-hmm. It had been a kosher Chinese restaurant. All the services were there. It had three phase, it had gas, it had exhaust, but it was so dirty. Right. So we got in there, Simon and I got in there, ripped it all out, just gut it, clean it. Let's just see what's underneath all this three coats of vinyl flooring and God knows what. My God! And as we kept ripping things out, walls and fridges, it became a really beautiful space. Mm. Said, oh, maybe we should put a cafe here as well. Uh, no, we're going to need it for office space. We need to build the cafe, the um, catering kitchen. So we built the catering kitchen, but this it just wouldn't. It was just a really nice space. Said, Let's yeah. build a cafe as well. Okay. So we built the second cafe, which was Hawk and Hunter. Um, built the catering kitchen out the back. Had our little offices on the side. Went about our business. Happy days. Happy days. Thinking about that space at Hawk and Hunter, like what made you know that it was going to be good for a cafe? I'm very much a big believer in feelings, right? Yeah. So when you walk into a site and you think about a deal, like you think about it logically, yeah. oh, this is gonna this this site's going to be 12% rent if I think about this kind of turnover. So it's not going to work. I'd rather it 8% or something like that to make it economical. Yeah. But then you have this emotion and energy about what you think the space could be. How did you feel that? Yeah. <laughs> like you that. just felt that energy. You just felt that. Yeah, and, right. And that's probably, if I'm if I'm uh, to think out loud, that's the we need to hold on to now as we look at sites and projects. Mm. Uh, and it is the subconscious. Do, does the gut say this is a great site? Mm-hmm. Is the sun hitting the windows right? Yep. Does the parking look right? Is the floor-to-ceiling height right, roughly? The layout, you know? All these components that make a really good spot, often you can't buy a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Some restaurateurs with big budgets can. Uh, we've never been able to. We've always had to be a little bit more clever and a little bit more you know, gut feel. Now, Hawk was one of those. Hawk and Hunter was one of those. Opposite a train station, Attica around the corner, mm. no coffee anywhere. It just made sense. Yep. 
beautiful amount of natural light, big space, airy. It ticked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. And we you know, had such low rent. I think we were paying 60 grand a year for about 400 square metres in, in Ripon Lee. It was pretty wow. pretty good. Yeah. But, I mean, we found out, you know, the gas meter, which was huge, went under the ground and then shrunk to a 20 mil pipe rather than the 50 that went in the ground. So <laughs> there was some huge costs. We got to dig that up and do that. And yeah. Grease trap's tiny, so actually we've got to build another, dig another one. Mm-hmm. There were lots of those traps, but the gut feel was there mm-hmm. from day one. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got two successful cafes. You've got a catering arm of the business. Like, how did everything else come? Because obviously now you've got, you know, venues like High Road Cantina, mm-hmm. Rumour Has It, the Hamptons Bakery, of course, you highlighted before, House of Lulu White. Like, how did... How did the transgression for those kind of venues come on board? Uh, Tommy Collins became like our, almost like we were fishing. Everybody we met, everybody we served, you know, it wasn't like, uh, Brighton was great, but it was Brighton. Ripon Lee was great, but it was Ripon Lee. And people coming to that space were usually pretty local. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, the strength of Little Ox was great because New Street is such a great cut through from Beach Road to Nepean Highway that, okay, you get most of Bayside come up and it's easy to jump out of the car, grab a cup of coffee and jump out the car. Yeah. Hawk didn't have that connectivity, so we relied a little bit more on the locals and a little bit less first coffee morning stuff, lots of cyclists. Tommy Collins was everywhere. We were down at Flinders, we were in Geelong, we were in homes in Turak, in Brighton, in Malvern, in Bowie, in Blackrock. Uh, we were you know, out in Notting Hill in office blocks and at the CBD. And all. So we were meeting so many different people, mm. doing product launches for all the, all the developers we were in uh, and still today doing all the same stuff, you know, from Louis Vuitton to Gucci and uh, all your boutiques. Wow. So every time you're there, oh, Tommy Collins, you guys do a great job. You'd be interested in my shop. You'd be <laughs> interested in my development. Why don't you come and do a project out here? And the offers just kept coming, just kept coming. And, you know, like you say, how do you, how do you hone in on that gut feel? Mm. It's really hard when there's lots of offers because you're ambitious and you're young and you're making coffee, but now you're also starting to become a bit of a business person. Yep. It's easy to get swept up in all the bullshit of the business. Absolutely. All the percentages. Yes. Oh, well, if we can do this and it's 2%, 3%, 7%, 30%, 30%. Mm. what does the gut say? Mm. Is that a really good site or is it just available to us and a good contribution and, you know. A good rent-free period. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we fell into those traps. You know, we did a ripper site. The third one was out in Notting Hill, Business Park. It was one of those deals where we walked away from a couple of times because we liked the idea of doing something new. You know, we always took a lot of pride in Ox being one of the early milk bar conversions Yep, in the burbs. Notting Hill was a bit the same. At the time, there was Bay Marie's in every business park, but there was no healthy, quality, cool, yeah. dare I say, yeah. offerings. Mm-hmm. Um, the coffee wasn't a high priority. The coffee equipment wasn't a high priority. The chairs and the tables nobody cared about. So mm. we thought, well, this is our opportunity. All these clients around here, all the, you know, there's some good people out here that want good quality. So we did that. But we had to set the, the bar a little bit higher with that uh, landlord because we you know we knew this is a bit of a bit of a stretch yeah it has to be done a certain way sure um and it, we actually only lasted a couple of years oh, it's only like one year out there someone came along and offered to buy it for silly money wow 
And was it successful for for that year? It was. Oh, look, it was hitting its targets, but we had. Right. I think we did something like six months rent. Fr- no, not six months rent free. Twelve months half rent. Right. Year one. Year two was three quarters rent. So yeah, I think it needed to do forty grand, and we were doing twenty grand. Right. Okay. Because rent was half, and you could control the variables. We were making a couple of bucks, but it mm-hmm. was really just washing its face. Mm-hmm. Good contribution from the landlord. Good design from partners but our friends at Ewart Leaf but Hassel had done a base so it was a really like everything came together for this one um but then I remember I was in Sydney at a cousin's wedding and the phone rang and the broker introduced himself um I want to buy your thing for this much I'm like no it's the, we've just opened the door no okay cool 50 grand more half an hour later no 50 grand more half an hour later I think four <laughs> calls that afternoon and eventually wow. called the boys and went yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> let's do it and of course, the landlord took six months to approve the transfer because they didn't want it. Went, no, you can't transfer. Why can't we? Because we don't want you to. <laughs> That's not really good enough reason. Yeah. So they dragged their feet. But the buyer, you know, I spoke to him not so long ago. He rang me when he hit the forty grand. He's like, "You're going to hit forty? Rash? Yes, that's great, mate. Well done." I said, "Really good." I said, "Well, that was the target. That's what the numbers say it should be doing, and mm. the, 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 the enough people around to do it. So, well done." Yeah, cool. So how did it be that Legacy came about? Legacy, we had, after Notting Hill, um, we had what is Greenfields now, Albert mm-hmm. Park mm-hmm. Country Club, we were going to call it. Mm-hmm. We had this vision, grand, you know, tavern there and bar there and a champagne deck and just <laughs> kiosk and we were going to revolutionise golf. You know, yeah. Send carts out with cocktails and oh, you awesome. name it, we were going <laughs> to do it. So we went and um, uh, pitched our idea to the landlord. They, I think, had only just bought the golf course and they wanted to do a, a casino up the other end, which we knew they were never going to get through, but God. that's fine. Like literally a casino? They were, yeah, yeah, they wanted to do it. Wow, okay. And it just so happened they didn't try to engage our architects to design it. Right. So we got the introduction. We said, this is what we want to do with your clubhouse. Yep, love it. Let's do it. We come to an agreement, heads of agreement, about to sign contracts, final version contract. Mm. Oh, no, we've, we've given it to someone else. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, we've, we've given it to somebody else. They're going to pay more. But, isn't, but we've just spent six months negotiating this lease. Wow. We had a new business partner flying in from Dubai, another you know, national sales manager of a top booze company from Perth to come be our business partners and help us mobilise this thing. It was a big project, more money than we had, so we had to bring investors. They were here. They were in Melbourne. We're giving it to them. So the French dude from Dubai, Nico from Perth, who was actually a, a childhood friend from Sydney, mm-hmm. well, let's, we've, we've got to do something. It's not going to be this. So we went and bought the Montague around the corner in South Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, we bought our first pub. The boys jumped on the bar and pulled beers and had fun and met all the locals and exactly the same approach to Little Ox. We needed a space. We all love hospitality. Me and Nico had worked in Sydney together, fresh out of school. My cousin had bought a pub up there, the Grand National, which Josh Nolan's now taking over. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Amazing space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We cut our teeth. You know, this was a time when Alex, the cousin, got rid of all the pokies before the smoking ban came in. Everyone said he was mad. And then, of course, when the smoking ban came in, food sales went through the roof because everybody was used to being at his place eating. Mm. And all the pokey dens were crying poor because... Nobody's smoking, nobody's playing pokies. So it was a great 
apprenticeship, I guess, into pubs. And Nico and I did that together, uh, fresh out of school, 99, 2000. So, yeah, he was on the tools, bit publican, loves it, loves the banter, loves the tellies on, loves talking about booze. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Frenchmen, as Frenchmen do, they love eating, they love drinking, they love everything about hospitality and he's a natural again. Um, you know, we worked together in St Kilda, did six months together, worked together in Edinburgh. He went on to, to open some members' clubs, um, Edinburgh to London and then out to Dubai as an event manager. So we'd all had that same upbringing around food and mm-hmm. culture and drinking. The boys jumped on the bar. I kept, I, I stayed with Tommy. Um, but, yeah, we started that and then eventually bought another pub at the Cricketers around the corner. You know, some years later, not too many years later, I think we only had about seven, went out to Firehouse, which is in Ringwood, and we're actually, we'd done a deal through Tommy Collins um, to take over a site in Buller. You know, we'd done this guy's wedding, amazing man, very supportive of us as a business. Uh, he says, look, we've got this space in Buller, we want to turn it into a restaurant, will you do it for us? I said, sure, we'll do that. Chopping us out so we felt like rock stars. <laughs> of course, yes. where do we sign? Yes, we'll do this. <laughs> so we did that, but it wasn't for Tommy and I at this time. So I said to that guy, Matt, it's not for me and Tommy, but myself and Nick and Rom will do it happy you've met rom he worked your wedding he was a guy yep nah, absolutely yeah he's a gun love him so we went and did buller on the way out the next time we had to drive ourselves we'd sign now um we pulled into firehouse and nico says what do you think i said oh well i mean it's beautiful firehouse but it's a shithole mm. yeah we can do that up what do you mean we <laughs> place an offer and it's in our budget <laughs> da, da, da. so anyway he done the deal and uh, we took over Firehouse as well. So, again, just quite organic, quite um, gut feel. You know, Nico fell in love with it the minute he saw it, made the offer knowing that we'd support him and it. Um, and we went down that road. I mean, that only launched March 2020. We did the, <sighs> the, the first renovation, got about three services out, and then Jeez. stopped. But then we thought, well, we're here now and there's nothing else we can do. We started doing the beer garden and then the beer garden leads onto a shed that was just full of old chairs and broken whatever. So we turned that into another bar and, um, you know, put some more tellies out there. So we just kept sort of renovating it over the last couple of years and mm-hmm. now it's a fantastic space. Yeah. Oh, it's a thousand square metres. Wow. Beautiful big beer garden, north facing. Sound like I'm reading an ad now. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it was, it was just that organic growth. He saw something he liked. He had a crack at it. Yeah, you know, it was a bit further than we wanted to be, given that we we're in Port Melbourne and Hampton yeah. and South Yarra. Now we're in Ringwood too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it works. It works. What did you What did you notice about the difference between you know opening cafe successfully and then opening you know licensed venues successfully? Like, was there any big differences? Like big you said, because you said like you treated them sort of the same in the way that you broke them down into sort of hospitality venues and make sure you got really good food and drink and then That's it. obviously great hospitality, but what was different? Look, the big difference for me sitting where I sit is I've got Tommy and now Simon, that head chef, became a partner a couple of years later mm. and now managing director of the Hamptons, great business partner, very hard worker. Possibly the first Avo Toast in Bayside. I'm <laughs> looking out there. Should research it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hold me to that. Um, <laughs> so I've got Tommy and Simon over here. Tommy is, you know, out there. What can I say? Yep. 
Simon the grafter. Knows what he likes. It has to be the same mm-hmm. every single time. Focused. Yep. Yep. Tommy, complete opposite. Mm-hmm. But opposite to track, right? So mm-hmm. we've got what we've got over here and everybody's happy. Then Nick and Rom have similar traits. Rom is hospo first. Nick is very well business-minded. So working with those two, licensed venues, you know, the whole booze side, the contracts. Nico's doing deals with booze suppliers I've never even heard of before. Not just the usual money up front and the discount and the rebates, but then he's got them for guarantee um, attendance. How many bookings are we going to get out of you and your office every year? How many, um, you know, how much uh, sporting events are you going to take to us? And all the, you know, just capacity building. Like, we're very good at this business. <laughs> so I was lucky in the sense that I didn't have to think about that. I had Nick and Rom and I had Simon Gott. Nick and Rom, Simon and Tommy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're both focused occasionally tommy's bought something like villager yep i love it but not for us i love it for us mm. uh nick and romy love it mm-hmm. and that's worked out nick will bring something hey let's do a cafe here i said okay but not with you two because you guys don't do cafes so tommy simon what do you think about this for a cafe and yeah we've all got such a good relationship we've been around together for so long that we've um it's a pretty good formula mm. It's really interesting. It's, it's, and it's obviously quite different in regards with business structure, right? And in yeah. regards with how you how you run it. So like my other question too is like with so many different formats of the business underneath the one hospitality group and legacy, like how do you divide your time, you know, sort of overseeing the whole thing? I imagine that must be a challenge on any given day. That, that's what led to legacy. Yeah. I was having the same conversations with, cafes you know bms focus as far as the business management goes there's a lot of commonality it's the same reservation system it's the same pos system it's the same you know drive it's it's all the same formula same uh res- uh, not reservation what do you call it uh, time and attendance mm-hmm. hris yep so we put a lot of work with legacy into standardizing all the managers are reading from the same script yep it's all hospitality first it's just that you're at night selling beers and you're in the day selling and making coffee. Mm-hmm. So when, when it comes to spreading the time, it, I mean, it does come down to who needs me most, but it's not about me. Obviously, we've got Nick and Rom every day. They're grafting, you know, Nick. You can't buy a paperclip without Nick knowing. <laughs> He's on it. Yeah. And Simon and the same in the cafe. Mm-hmm. Who's buying more salt and pepper shakers? I think they're a bit short. No, 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 they're not short. We've got more of them. Okay, okay. So, you know, there's a lot of personality traits within our group and it is a very, very tight group because we're social as well as business. Mm. Um, And one of the values of our group is that we have always blurred the lines between social and business. Interesting. Yeah, it's hard. And sometimes you go too far one way and too far the other way, but then you have it out. We've never been afraid of that healthy confrontation. Yep. Say what you think. Don't leave anything unsaid. Say it. Okay, you might offend somebody, but at least it's been said. Yeah. And we can address that and then we can move on. And with that uh, mentality and everybody on the same page, it's meant that we've got through some tough times. We continue to deal with each other that way. Because, you know, with all the different businesses, there are, and especially over the last couple of years, the diversity was a strength, but it was also put massive strain. Mm. You got a pub, and there are a lot of pubs out there, Turn into bottle shops. You've got a cafe turned into espresso bar. 
got a catering company that essentially turns into well, goes into hibernation, mm. or does it go into that commissary model that preps back into the venues? Mm. But then, if the venues are closed, what's the point of prepping to go into them? Yep. But if we're going online, who's buying it? How are we spreading the word? Do we have enough community as well? So all these conversations are about what well, we all come together to have those conversations because how are we going to get through this together? Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. Remember that? Yep, yeah. absolutely. I remember that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we did. And of course, the grass is always greener. So you think, oh, it's it's easier for you. You can just keep selling coffee. Yeah, but coffee and milk spoils. You've got food. You just sell it. Yep. Just pour it out of a tap or out of a bottle. Tell me who wasn't drinking at the sound of every lockdown announcement. <laughs> yes, exactly. What do we do? Go to Dan's. Yes. What do you do? Raise <laughs> the bar. <laughs> and and at each of those venues, you know, the community would come with money on their head. How do we support you? What can we do to help you get through this? Mm. Actually, if you could sit there and drink, that would be great. Done. We can do that. And, you know, you have this great support and you realise, wow, actually, people care about us too. Mm. You know, you get the warm, fuzzy feeling because you realise it's not just... Hospitality is not just giving, but it's also receiving. It's a two-way street. And everybody True. that comes and supports you year-round, then they come and say, well, now. And then we get emails thanking us for being open and being friendly and being there. Oh, now they appreciate us, but we appreciate them. So it's this big love-in. Yep. yep. And just everybody gets a bit stronger for it. And mm. you build more relationships and you, and you, you see what you're made of, you see what the people around you are made of. It's... Um, a lot of goodness come out of some real shit times. Mm. Just a break in the podcast to let you know that Fine Food Australia returns this September to Melbourne. For nearly four decades, Fine Food has been the leading trade event for all food, from retail to hospitality, manufacturing to bakery. Visiting Fine Food will be the recipe to fast track your business for commercial success. Just a reminder that this is a free event to attend. So make sure you register at finefoodaustralia.com.au. Now back to the podcast. Um, really boring question. When did you, in regards to the standardisation of all these systems and processes across the whole group, yeah. Was that something you organically did from the start or was that something that just changed, like you decided to change at one point? Yeah. And why, why did you decide to change? It was a point. It was, um, it was a lockdown thought. Interesting. Well, everything stopped. Yeah. Everything stopped. Yeah. And so I said to the boys, we're never going to get this chance again to stop and the world will understand that we're stopped and we just think. And we think about everything we're doing. Mm. Because hospitality, it's every day. Yeah. You, you just keep up, going. Mm-hmm. You're a baker. Yep. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. Over and over. And that's what makes the best businesses the best is the repetition. Yep. They do it and do it and do it. And that's what makes catering so damn hard. You come up with an idea, you go to execute it, inevitably you see better ways of doing it, but you might not get that theme again for a year or two years. Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got a different crew. Mm-hmm. Maybe you don't get to do that theme again. You know, maybe you're too custom and, you know, so, sorry, I've sort of gone away from no, the no, 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 a little no, bit. No, 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 but. Stop. Let's think about this. Mm-hmm. You're using Automate. You're using Depog. Mm-hmm. Why? We're using this time and attendance system. You're using that one. We all want the same results. If I buy our manager from you, and that's what we had to do because you remember all the internationals, we're not going to support you. Yep. Well, guess what? We'll support you. We'll match JobKeeper for you guys. 
but you're going to have to come over here and help us at the cafe or jump into the bakery or go into the catering kitchen and help do hampers. If you're willing to move, we're willing to match JobKeeper for you. So we sort of identified that, hang on, they don't know that till system. Right. They don't know that time and attendance system. So we said, well, let's just agree on which one's the best and then everybody uses that. So now we go back to succession planning and how does the young kid who starts on juice in a cafe end up running a pub? <laughs> well, we teach them very, very small amounts of information at a time. This is the order of service. This is non-communication. This is our point of sale. This is how you update the specials in the point of sale. This is how you roster. This is how you update the roster. This is how you cost a roster. This is how you control the costs when they're blowing out and sales aren't what you thought they were. And now suddenly that kid can use the system in any one of our venues and hopefully they do stay with us and hopefully they do grow to, to run another department. And we're seeing a lot of it now. You know, it's only two years since we've started Legacy and, and we've made that commitment. So really it's only one year, but really we're in lockdown for a lot of the months of uh, July to what, October last year. So it's pretty early days, but we do refer to this period as the mid-season draft. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who needs to go where <laughs> to be ready for spring? Right. I like that. That's sense, really right? smart. Yeah. Yeah. Sales are down everywhere. Yeah. Winter. Mm -hmm. Catering's ticking along and comparative to last year it's up, but yep. comparative to three years ago, it's way down. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that manager's amazing, but really wants to be in events. So let's move you across there, which means we need to succeed you up there. You need a new shift manager. We've standardized all the PDs, so the event manager is on par with the venue manager. The event coordinator is on par with the assistant manager or supervisor. Sorry, the event coordinator is on par with the supervisor. So there's your succession plan from this side of the fence to that side of the fence, mm -hmm. pubs, cafes, catering, uh, and then kitchen also, same sort of standardisation. But then the kitchen was standardised already. So yeah. That was a little bit easier. Oh, not easier, but... Yeah, slightly easier. A little bit more progressed in that sense. Right. Were you surprised when you started that process of standardisation? The kind of information that would come out and the length of time it actually took to do that project? Oh my god! Because so people fun. do things by osmosis, right? In hospitality, like you just learn and you learn and yeah. you learn, and you don't actually think about how much you actually know. Change management is huge. Yeah, we've all heard the term. Yes. Yeah, change management. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's what change management means. Managing the change. Okay, mm. I get it now. I know it now better than I did twelve months ago. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. But what I was actually really pleasantly surprised at is the cost of automating these systems is not as scary and intimidating as I thought. We'd onboarded a system when we had merged with a much bigger group, one part of our company. We've demerged now. Mm -hmm. As a group, we went and dropped tens of thousands of dollars on this operating system, if not more. I don't remember the final bill, but it was about two years of input and data and meetings. The, the actual cost would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow. This time around, and the system didn't work properly once it was in. This time around, we're finding systems, well, let's commit to that because it does 80% of the task across the group. Okay. Fraction of the cost. Easier to learn. Less options in the background, but then we all know we don't use 90% of the options we've got in some of these systems anyway. Mm. So we've, we've really simplified a lot. Of, it's given us a good chance to simplify a lot and acknowledge that it's actually easy to overcomplicate these things. And the systems across the board... The number one focus was integration. 
every system had to push and pull information to the next and take from the previous. So we were are committed to automation and that happens when I put your name in once and it pops out the next time we look at your information or the next time you make an order or the next time we need to visit your house or deliver you something. But I only want to put that in once. So how does these systems each pick you up and are you an employer, are you a client? Mm-hmm. So I was actually pleasantly surprised that we could create that process by not trying to grab one complete system but by taking systems that have been designed to specialise in a field, time and attendance, which is different, I've learnt, to HRIS. Yes. Uh, which, you know, you've got your reservation systems, which can but doesn't have to be your CRM. Yep. You've got your catering management, which can but doesn't have to be your CRM. Mm. You've got your CRM, which can take reservations but doesn't have to be. Mm. So it's been, a, it's been a great process. It's been a long process. The first probably nine months was just trying to get our heads around breaking down what are the systems we need and what are the options within that system that we need to review yep. and then give that back to the partners and say, okay, guys, this is how it's going to work or not work for you and then they get time to dissect it and say, well, that's not going to work for us for these reasons. And then there's a little bit of manipulation where you say, yeah, but if you just change your system a little bit, yep. if you just change your system a little bit, then no, can't do it. That's a deal breaker. Okay, on to the next one. Mm. And so it was a really, um, it was an intense process, but gee, we took some learnings out of it. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, how did you how did you make the decision about the tech stack that would actually come into play? Was it was it going back to how you decided on a lease? Was it the same sort of thing? And like you got all this information, but then gut feel is like, oh, I think they're going to provide better support, or I think this is going to be more affordable over the long haul. How did you make those calls? You know, uh, across the five of us, we'd a lot of the systems we reviewed, we'd either used at some point or another, or we knew the broker person yep. selling it, yep. uh, the account manager, um, or we had a friend using it and either vouched for it or said, no, stay the hell away. <laughs> so for want of a better word, it was due diligence. Yep. Looking in, you know, everybody sold their system as being the answer. Of course. Mm. Amazing how many answers are out there. <laughs> we just had to keep reviewing the question and uh, suitability for us. Our constant was zero. We were committed to using zero as our accounting mm-hmm. software. Whatever. What integrates with that? So Foz has to send sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, recipe management has to send cost. There's two good starts. Yep. Uh, CRM really needs to talk to bookings and reservations, but also really needs to talk to our uh, functions and events platform. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, we're doing your wedding and then you walk into one of our venues, we really need to know that, hey, this is this is, this is our network. Yep, yeah. yep. Sean, give him the table. Yep. Find a table. Yep. Sit him in the kitchen if he wants to. Yep. Look after him. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was identifying those non-negotiables of what we needed the system to do. And then what, as I was saying before, what we actually had to learn to do was not expect more out of a bigger, more expensive system. To actually lower our guard and realise that, you know what, that is so cheap. There must be something wrong with it. But you know what? It, it does exactly what it says on the box, mm-hmm. and that's all we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And it talks to that, and it talks to that. You get the job. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, I'm very big on uh, employment in the industry at the moment and recruitment. Obviously, it's a massive challenge. Everyone knows that is listening to the podcast. But I'm very much 
when I look back on my career, I really reflect and the amount of people I've trained in my career, I think about the first six weeks of someone's employment and how important that is to get a really good start into a into a brand and, and those first six weeks will really instinctively think about if they're going to stay for a long time or if they're going to stay for a shorter time, right? Mm-hmm. With regards with the different brands that you have, uh, are people essentially recruited and onboarded and inducted and fundamentally trained the same way? I would love to say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in one hand, we do. We do best endeavours. Yep. On the other hand, the trials and tribulations of a staff shortage means you make the sacrifices mm. that you wouldn't ordinarily, or ordinarily make. This guy might have a little bit of baggage, but I don't have another option at the moment. So yep. we're going to roll the dice. Yep. Yep. Doesn't work out, does work out. So... You know, we're looking, we're doing a couple of things. We're looking at survival now and over the last couple of years. How do we get through? Um, and we're looking about who do we want to be in three to five years. And the decisions we're making are different to who we would say. This is not speaking ill of anybody in our crew, mm. obviously, mm-hmm. but we have had some guys come and go over the last six months come in all guns blazing, I'm going to be the saviour and I'll do this and I'll do that and I've done it before and your cost of sales will be better than ever before and then they come in with a shit attitude and mm. ruffle feathers and upset long-standing relationships and you say, ah, 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 thank you, but no thank you. Couldn't yep. do without you. Yep. Um, and that onboarding process, that trial, that probation, you know, you do. we have had to lower our guard. I, I wonder if there's anyone out there hasn't lowered their guard to that gut feel again. I'm a bit worried this person, as I said, has got baggage or whatever. In saying that, we've had some amazing people. Two bakers, actually. Yeah, right. Uh, come on, crack on, just beautiful people. And we've had some others, more on the pub side, not quite work out. Okay. Come in, no, nah, that's not going to work. Why not? Oh, uh, the way you told me not to undercook the chicken was, was uh, <laughs> micromanaging. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, look, some of the venues are, are like many around uh, the country, running on you know uh, five days instead of seven days open. Mm-hmm. Not as many lunches as we'd like. Um, the cafes are closing at three. We used to always, out of principle, say open till five to try and be there for the after-school traffic. Yep. Um, not always profitable, but always kind of community focused you know you pick up the kids sometimes you just need to kill half an hour before you go home and start the bath time routine and the yep. witching hour and all that <laughs> pull your hair out uh but we just just close at three let's just you know tighten the, tighten the belt so yeah we've um i would love to say yes we've got this great onboarding process mm. and it's flawless but no it's certainly yeah, it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress, and what we're looking at is how do we uh, make sure we're not using the same excuses in six and twelve years? Because it's very easy for a uh, shit show of the last couple of years to create new habit and yeah, allow you to make point. excuses. Oh well, COVID. <laughs> what COVID? COVID's got nothing <laughs> to do with this, mm-hmm. and it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't get you that delivery because of COVID. COVID's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> no. Make it happen. Get organized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to uh, form bad habits mm. that, um, that linger because we think, oh, well, we got away with it there. 
don't want to get away with stuff. We want to commit to best practice, and um, and that is going to take some time, especially with a business like catering. This week I might need twenty five staff. Mm-hmm. Next week I might need two hundred staff. The week after maybe it's no staff again. You know we don't have venues like say Big Group. Not saying they don't have it hard. They do have it hard. They're very good at what they do. A lot of other caterers have a venue. They got four walls, and I compare those to our cafes. You've got a certain amount of uh, regularity where your venue managers, your venue manager, your shift managers, shift managers, your bartenders, they know where they come. We're working on, well, it just so happens we've got six weddings on Saturday night. <laughs> Why do it? Not this week, obviously. Right. Or winter. But, you know, when it rains, it... it Pause. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, so we've gotten better at declining those jobs before they all back up, but mm. COVID. Oh, that postponed wedding is now on that day or the postponed gala is now on that day and as is the development launch and the this, that, the other. So, you know, we rally the troops, we bring them in from everywhere and say, hey, guys, can you just do a little bit extra, one more shift each from the cafes and the pubs. Um, so we've got a little bit of flex in that regard and we've been a bit lucky in that regard, but it does um, it does keep us on edge a little bit to make sure we're not, as I say, falling into that bad habit into the future, uh, especially this spring, summer. We don't want to do what we did last spring, summer, which was just you know ringing everybody that's ever met somebody else and said, bring them on. Yep. They've never done a hospital before. Mm. We all teach them. They just need somebody to carry cases at this stage. Just just bring your people, hands, look at who they are. Yeah. That's, that's the focus, not falling into those bad habits. Yeah. I was um, speaking with a caterer uh, the other day in Sydney, and they were saying they they never say no to people, but they try to make it they try to make it work a different way, whether it be a menu, whether it be an event, or the size of people and that kind of stuff. Is it hard because of the last two years, and because you do have you know a lot of going concern, like you've got a you've got a big group um, of venues to say not now or turn down a particular event um, or a particular venue. Um, because you literally don't know how you're going to open it or staff it. Yeah, we're getting very good at that. Very good at that. Mm. We still said yes to a couple. Yep. Rumour has it was, uh, I think it was first day of trade was July 9 last year and we went into another lockdown July 12. But <laughs> in our defence, we thought the, the Christmas beforehand was the last lockdown and we yep. passed and, and, okay, we rode that out. Let's come out of uh, these things stronger. Mm. Uh, probably jumped the gun on that. Um, we're getting a lot better at saying no. You know, I think all business people, entrepreneurial or otherwise, have to learn how to say no. Mm. Have to learn that sometimes less is more. Ambition is very easily gets the better of you. I can get this at a ripper price. The rent's cheap. It's a great site. I've always liked it. Let's do it. We're yep. going to staff it. We'll figure it out. Now it's it's a little bit less. We'll figure it out, and it's a bit more. We'll know. We're going to need at least another 12 months to create a crew that's going to be ready. Otherwise, we're going to open a joint with a really poor product and they're not going to come back. Mm. You know, when we talk about Little Ox, our first one, why did it work? Well, you had me and Tommy and Lukey and Simon and then the crews that came with us. Um, I can name them all, but a lot of them have gone on and opened their own very, very successful cafes, restaurants, bars. You know, I, take, I can't tell you how much pride... I take you probably do the same. Mm. You'll have juniors out there probably running bakeries and, and venues of their own. I think, you know, God, I've just got a small part of that. Yeah, it's a good thing. Um, 
and it was something really conscious early on that for me it was always Ekachina. Mm. Ekachina was that's XX Ekachina. Every time you pick up the the Epicure, mm-hmm. X Epi- wow, what are they doing so right? <laughs> so now I've got my own joints. I want to be the X mm-hmm. Epicure, mm-hmm. X Comic Con, and so there is lots of those guys out there, but they won't keep coming if we rush or say yes to everything. And that's what we've probably learnt. Um, Shall I say the hard way? I think we've learnt it one way or another that, that no is actually a really healthy word. Sure. A- events as well as projects, sites. So do you feel like now is a consolidation time for the group? Like you said before, like you're thinking about the next couple of years. Like what are you thinking about the yes next couple no. of years? Yes and no. We've got <laughs> we've got three offers out at the moment on right. projects. Wow. Um, having sat in a board meeting, you know, six months ago, right, consolidate, no more. Mm-hmm. But then one comes along, you're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, I don't know if we can say no to that. So, you know, we are certainly, there's a little bit of defence up and there's a little bit of um, apprehension, but at the same time, we love what we do mm. and we are quite good at it and we've got a lot of people in our group that love it and want to continue on the journey. So, you know... Uh, Actually, all three in their own merits are really unique opportunities that would have been too hard to say no. So we've said, okay, here's the offer. We know it's not as probably commercially viable for you as you'd like, but sure. under these terms we can commit and we can make this a really good. Of those three, we don't expect all three. It's nature of the beast, but uh, that's where we're at at the moment. We say yes, we're going to consolidate, but we can't <laughs> say no to a good opportunity. Absolutely. Project. <laughs> Project. Um, my final question to you is like, you know, what are you excited about, you know, moving forward for yourself and the group and is there anything you can update us about, you know, what's going to happen this year for you guys? Um, oh, mate, there's plenty to be excited about. I say regularly that we are probably in or have been in the darkest times our industries will be in in our lifetimes. Mm. So if this is a game, what's the expression? Game of attrition? Yep. And we survive, then we should be really proud. And what it's going to take to survive, to get there, means that we've got what it takes to be one of the leaders of our industry. Our group is called Legacy Hospitality. We mm. want to leave a legacy. We want to leave something we're really proud of. Those first three joints I told you about, Little Ox, Hawk and Hunter, Little Cullen, sold within 12 months. Took some money off the table. We thought, oh, there's a business in this. Let's build joints and sell them. <laughs> but then you see them, not all of them. Hawk and Hunter went to shit almost immediately. Yeah, broke right. Heart. Broke my heart. Day one, the, they'd taken the coffee machine off the bus and got a new coffee supply. Oh, uh, wow. Oh, no, we like this coffee. Well, I appreciate that, but your customers like that coffee. Yeah. You told me the whole way in that no change, you love what we've built, you want to keep it going, you care losing all our staff. Because oh, oh, no. we still had the kitchen, the catering kitchen out the back, so oh, I'm still there every so day. Wow, okay. No, 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 just slow down, guys. You don't have to change. This model works. Yeah. And it, and it has changed our perspective on hospitality. It's not about building and flogging off and putting some money in your pocket. That yep. works for some, not for us. We're trying to build something we're really proud of. So, you know, first cafe, none of us had kids. We designed a joint that didn't know how much space you need for a pram. Yep. Now we've got kids, all our joints are double doors and double space between each table and change tables in every bathroom. And 
you know, we understand what the community needs for small children. Yeah. We want to build something we're proud of, whether our kids go into hospitality or not. <laughs> no, go and be a doctor or a lawyer. Kid. <laughs> it's much it. easier. <laughs> um, but that—that's what drives us at the moment. Is this idea that getting through this will prove we've got what it takes? Getting through this will be a lot of upside. There'll be a lot of you know greener pastures, blue sky, mm-hmm. and it will be great again. Yep. You know we'll have beautiful hospitality again. We'll have great service. We'll have lots of people bonding, connecting, meeting their future. Spouses, as I did. Yep. About you. Yep. Um, Absolutely. And if we're a small part of that, wow, what a great, uh, what a great sort of life we'll look back on. Totally agree. Um, well, thanks for creating such great venues in Melbourne, Ben. Um, and well done on the, you know, on the amount of venues that you have and the scale. Like you're obviously doing things with an amazing intent, and I think that's only a positive thing for the industry. Obviously. Um, What's the best way that people can find out more about Legacy if they want to come and work for you or if they want to um, check out the venues and, and come and dine in? Absolutely. Uh, legacyhg.com.au is our website. TommyCollins.com.au. It will also send a link straight to me. Uh, come and see us. Hop into one of the venues. Introduce yourself. We'll buy you a drink, coffee, sit down and have lunch. If anybody hearing this wants a life in hospital, you know what? I agree with what you're saying. But just come and have a coffee. It'll cost you nothing. Mm. Maybe we make a friendship. Maybe you become a customer. Maybe you start working for us and we end up being business partners in three, four, five years' time. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of business partners. We've had a lot of good people make good coffee, make good drinks, you know, rock the pans really well. Yep. They want what they want. Okay. Come for the journey and let's do it together. Yep. So, yeah, I would say if anybody wants to get involved, come and come and find us. Beautiful. As always, that's going to be linked up in the show notes of this podcast so you can reach out to Legacy Group. Ben Averamides, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, mate. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning to another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed that one. Please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. As always, we're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along. If you don't know us at Poe, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, you can find them at principaldesign.com.au and myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode and until next time, stay safe everyone.